Thank you, Dallas. You know, isn't a gift of music a wonderful thing? Studying back over the history of music over the years, it's interesting to see how music has evolved, and especially the instruments we have today. And years and years ago, centuries ago, wasn't anything like what we have. So how fortunate we are to live in a day in which we have polyphonic sound, we have harmonies and instruments that you couldn't ever complete the list. What a blessing. You know, if somebody asked me, describe Tulsa Christian Fellowship to me. What, what do you say the church is really like? And after pondering a little bit, I'd say, well, the lifeblood of our church is the distant fields of harvest. When TCF started, of course, the ministry was in the restless ripping and among the hippies, the drug users, there was Jesus in, there was Jacob's well. Uh, a tremendous ministry took place through TCF. But of course, that left after a while. Chuck Fair and I were calling ministers of the city together for a citywide prayer meeting once a month. And I remember we visited, for example, the local Catholic bishop, and he said, well, I'd love for my priest to come, but 7 o'clock in the morning they're going to be doing Mass, so they can't come. I counted the churches in Tulsa, and at that time there were 986. And I sent invitations to almost every one of these. And so once a month there was a gathering of ministers, about 75 to 100 and we prayed for the city of all denominations were there. But just think of that, 986 churches. Now I'll bet you now there are more, probably a 1,000 or more. Well, as the leadership of the church looked at that and realized that the ministry that had called this church into existence was gone, what is God's purpose for our church now? We reason God surely didn't intuit and intend to just duplicate the same thing 986 times. If God really called a church into existence, what is its purpose? And after prayer and just looking at how things were going, it became obvious the purpose of this church's existence had become the distant fields of harvest. So initially, our motto was training and releasing labor to the harvest. It's changed somewhat, but still the same sentiment on our, on our letterhead. You know, you count the number of people on that map back there, men, women, boys, and girls, how many they are, and count how many are here Sunday morning. I'm telling you what, a huge percentage of our church is overseas. Something to really think about, isn't it? So that would be the first thing I'd say. I've often jokingly said, if a family asked me, should we attend TCF? I would ask them, do you have small children? Yes. Well, if you don't want them to become missionaries, you better not come to TCF because they would be at risk of becoming missionaries. And how we've seen that, haven't we, over the years? Those who have grown up among us now are, are serving in the distant fields of harvest. If they asked me about preaching, I'd say, well, we don't have any great orders at TCF, but I'll tell you this, every sermon will be Bible-based, will be characterized by sound exegesis, 
and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Well, what about the atmosphere on Sunday morning? What about the worship service? Well, we sure don't have a hoop-de-doo service like a lot of places. But what we do have is reverent. We have the sense that on Sunday morning we are coming into the presence of God, the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the Lord's table we meet Jesus in a way that cannot be defined. That's the atmosphere that permeates our service on Sunday morning. Well, what about tithing? Do you teach that? Well, we don't talk about it very often. But the view is that we don't own anything. It's all God's. And he intends that 10% of what he puts into our hands to be in use in his kingdom. I, Jim Garrett, have no control at all over what is done with the tithe. That's the elder's responsibility. Whoopee, I don't have to worry about it. But the other 90% I do. I'm a steward of that. What does God want me to do? with the other 90%. And that's a prevailing attitude, I believe, here at, uh, at TCF. If they'd asked me, what about children to youth ministry? I'd say, let me tell you, you've got the best in town. Wonderful teaching goes on with our children on Sunday morning. I'd talk about Bible Bowl, Vacation Bible School. I'd talk about the uh, gospel program we have at the public school. We could talk about so many things. And, of course, Fast track, basic. Today, of course, our young people are off on a retreat. They and their sponsors will be back around 1 o'clock, I understand. I could recommend that heartily and encourage people to participate. And if they ask me, what about body life? Ah, that is truly who we are. I've been... I minister the gospel since January 1st, 1953. I have never in my life seen a church anywhere, and I've preached in state after state after state, in church after church after church, but I have never seen another church that has such genuine body life as Tulsa Christian Fellowship. The Apostle Paul, writing the Ephesians, said, For this reason... I, too, having heard of the faith that you have in Christ Jesus that exists among you and your love for all the saints, don't cease to give thanks for you as I mention you in my prayers. Paul gave an affirmation to the Ephesian church. Now, usually on Sunday morning, there's an exhortation or some kind of teaching this morning, I believe God would leave me to give you an affirmation. An affirmation of what Christ has done and how this body has cooperated with Jesus Christ. Two Sundays ago, Bill Sutherland brought a sermon about bearing our, our anxieties and fears and hanging them to God. The key verse was Philippians 4, 6, be anxious in nothing. But in everything with prayer and supplication, let your requests be known to God with thanksgiving. And the peace of God that transcends understanding shall guard your hearts in Christ Jesus. That was kind of in harmony of what Steve Staub had brought last March when he spoke on 
what are you thinking? Well, Tuesday, or Wednesday night after that sermon, after Bill had preached, we had dinner together prior to the Wednesday night prayer meeting. We meet once a month, Bill and I do, for dinner to talk about church business. And uh, that night as we were there, we talked about that sermon. And I said, you know, Bill, there is a negative emotion that doesn't fit what you talked about. And that's grief and sorrow. That's not anxiety and fear. He agreed. We both talked about that. Fully agreed. I believe this morning that's somewhat of the emphasis that God would give to me and to us. Our Lord Jesus, as prophesied in Isaiah 53, was a man of sorrows. His, our griefs he has borne, it is said. Remember Jesus Christ pictured in Matthew chapter 9. As he looked out over the crowd, he was moved with compassion. For he saw them as discouraged and downcast. And like a people without a shepherd. At the tomb of Lazarus. As Jesus saw the people mourning and weeping over the death of their friend and brother. The shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. We read in Luke that when Jesus came and viewed the city of Jerusalem, he began to weep over the city. Sorrow and grief were one of the defining characteristics of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that as we truly take the heart of Christ into us, that kind of compassion for others is really a reflection of God. Remember, as Paul wrote, rejoice at, with the, those that rejoice to Galatians, but weep with those that weep. And he wrote, bear ye one another's burdens. Shortly after Barbara died, when I was grieving, the natural grief that comes to a widower, I saw a saying that so touched me that I took my fountain pen and wrote it out and tacked it on the wall of my study. Grief is not the sign of a lack of faith. Grief is not the sign of weakness. Grief is the price of love. The love that exists in this body, I've never seen it anywhere else. When I go up and down stairs nowadays, <clears throat> my knees start crying, and they say to me, why are you doing this? And I say to them, shut up, that's your problem, not mine truth is I can't say that <laughs> because it is my pain because we are the body of Christ your pain is my pain your sorrow is my sorrow your struggles are my struggles what happens to you happens to me and I believe that such care 
permeates this church. Because I spend time with different members of the church, I, I find out what's on people's hearts. I don't want to identify this person, so I'll not even mention gender. <laughs> but this particular person, some weeks ago, as I was sitting with them, and this is a person who himself slash herself <laughs> is, a, is a recipient of our prayers and intercession, told me that he slash see, she, <laughs> was praying diligently for God to give a miracle to Laura Grinnell. And he was passionate, oh, oh, he, she, was passionately praying that prayer. Oh, what a joy. Isn't that the true of all of us in this church? We really carry one another's burdens. That's TCF. Now, when I first came to TCF February 1st, 1981, I entered a culture like I had never seen before. When you're the preacher, you preach, and after the sermon, there's a closing prayer and a closing song, and while that's going on, you make your way to the back door, and as everybody leaves, you speak to them, and if a man offers his hand, you shake hands, but you never touch a woman, unless you're immersing them into Christ. That's the only time you touch a woman. But when I came to TCF, what? Everybody was hugging there's one woman in the church, somewhat of a matriarch, rebuked me because I would not hug her. <laughs> I just, Lord, what's going on with these folks? <laughs> now, in recent years, I've learned to be a hugger. I can hug men with intensity and hug a sister discreetly, always discreetly. But that's this church, isn't it? The love we have for one another. And I believe indeed... God is pleased with that. I think TCF, I think TCF would please Paul because we are an embodiment of what he wrote to the Philippians. If there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of the Holy Spirit of, of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and compassion. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, committed to the same purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit but with humility of mind, each of you regard the other as more important than himself. Do nothing merely at looking out for your self-interest, but also look out for the interest of others. Have this attitude in you which was in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not count equality of God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, took on the form of a slave, being made in the image of man. Think of that. 
this divine being out of love for you and me took on the form of a slave. As I think about that, I recall what Jesus said concerning our role in the kingdom. He said, you know, the rulers of Gentiles lorded over them and so on and so on, but he would be great in the kingdom of God. <laughs> we'll be servant of all. And he who is first will be slave of all. Think of that. I am your slave. I am your slave because my love I have for you and the love you have for me owns me. And I am your slave. And I will serve you any way the Holy Spirit directs me. Now, that's important, you see, because there are always more needs that we can meet. God, how do you want me to serve my brothers and sisters? You have to direct me. And that, of course, is the way that God would have us live. I think one of the most important things we do on Sunday morning is have the break in which we walk around and talk to each other till some honorary elder makes us quit. The book of Hebrews, and I believe Paul is the author, some disagree with me with this, said, let us consider, listen to this, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And he said, here's how to do it. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together in the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, after we have come to a knowledge of truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but only a fearful looking forward to the judgment and the fire that will devour the adversaries. My brother and sister, I don't want to fall into sin, willful or unwillful. And one thing that helps me avoid that is you when we come together on Sunday. I just don't understand folks that say I'll be at church on Sunday and their attitude says this, unless I have something else to do. That's saying I don't care about you. I don't care whether you go to hell or not. So I'm not going to be there to encourage you. Think about this. Empty seats discourage. Full seats encourage. Now, of course, there are some things. Sometime when you're sick, or like Gordon going off somewhere on ministry, you're absent on Sunday. Or sometimes there are other priorities. One time my wife was hospitalized for six weeks. Tremendous suffering. The doctors, really the nurses, not the doctors, kept making mistakes. I had to finally take over her care, doing the routines that nurses normally did. For six weeks I didn't leave her side. For six weeks I missed Sunday service. But that, I felt, was where God wanted me at that time. So those things do happen. But where there is a choice, how can I choose to be absent on Sunday and by my absence say, I don't care whether you go to hell or not. I want to be here to encourage you, if no more than just by my presence, that you will be stirred and stimulated to love and good works. So that's one way that we can serve each other. 
by just being here on Sunday morning. Another way Paul mentions in Ephesians chapter 4, after he's talked about the gifts he's given to the church, the gifts of leadership, he says, as a result, we're no longer children to be tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness on scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now notice the context of what Paul is talking about. He's talking about false doctrines, popular things, new ideas that come into the church and cause trouble. Boy, haven't we seen that here at TCF over the years? You look back over the history of this church and some new wave comes in, this is the new, new truth, and after a while it goes away and here's another one and it split the church. And the leadership has had to seek God. Lord, we want to walk the straight path you've given us, whether anybody likes it or not. Paul said, speak the truth. Now, you know most discipleship programs, and many have taken this speaking the truth in love, meaning rebuke and correct your life. That's not what Paul's talking about at all. He's talking about correct doctrine. Let correct doctrine be in your speech. Let correct doctrine be in your teaching. Don't be carried about by every wind of doctrine that comes along. That's what he's talking about. And so one way I can help you, and one way you can help me, is that in our conversation, our speech, our reflection, our attitudes, correct doctrine be what comes out of our mouths. And then here's another interesting thing, too, (laughs) to restrict our freedom. In Romans chapter 14, Paul talks about some of those with Jewish backgrounds. And, of course, according to the law of Moses, you shouldn't eat pork, shouldn't touch certain kinds of garments. (laughs) And because people with Jewish background have a conscience about these things, Paul said, don't make any difference. Eat what you want. Touch what you want. But if a brother believes that eating pork is a sin and he chooses to sin, he has sinned because he's choking, cho- chosen to do something that he thinks is evil. Conscience is important. And so in Romans 14, Paul says, I don't want to be a stumbling block, and the way I can be a stumbling block is to tempt someone to violate his conscience. If a brother thinks eating pork is sin, I will not invite him over for a dinner to have pork chops. I'll not put that temptation in front of him. That's something that's hard for some people. I will restrict my freedom so I won't some way cause a brother or sister to stumble. And that's one way that we can serve and encourage one another. Well, back again to Romans 
12:15 rejoice with those that rejoice weep with those that weep i believe with all of my heart that this church is exactly what god wants in our relationships what the holy spirit has done among us to bless the kingdom to help one another walk the path that god would have us walk in 1884, James Wells, who was a moderator of the United Church of Scotland, wrote a book about the parable of Jesus, parables of Jesus, and told the story of something he'd seen. He saw a little Scottish girl carrying her younger brother. He said the younger brother was as big as she was. <laughs> But he was, she was carrying him. And he said, you know, child, isn't that little boy heavy for you? In her Scottish accident, she said, nah, he's me bitter. <laughs> Interestingly, in 1917, Father Flanagan formed Boys Home. Used to, everybody knew about Boys Home. Nowadays, few people hear of it. There's a movie made, I don't know when, years ago, Black and White. Spencer Tracy played the part of Father Flanagan. But he was very much disturbed by the way the boys were being treated in the reformatories. They were being beaten. They were being cruelly treated. And his heart was so moved that he began Boys Town to try to get wayfaring boys and care for them. About a year after he started, a woman who had a little boy who was stricken with polio, heavy leg breaches, could hardly walk. She abandoned this child on the front steps of Boys Town. And of course, Father Flanagan took him in and he became a part really of the family. And one day, Father Flanagan saw a young man named Reuben Granger carrying Howard up and down the stairs. <laughs> and he said, you know, Reuben, isn't he heavy? It's interesting, Reuben said the same thing that little Scottish girl had said. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. <laughs> and that became the motto of Boys Town. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. Now, you have been around a while can remember that in 1969, Bob Russell and Bobby Scott wrote a song, He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother. The Hollies, of course, recorded that, became the top hit. Here are the lines. The road is long with many a winding turn that leads us to who knows where, who knows where, but I'm strong. Strong enough to carry him. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. So on we go. His welfare is my concern. No burden is he to bear. Oh, we're going to get there, for I know he won't encumber me. No, he ain't heavy. He's my brother. That's his church. That's his church. Now, there's one thing about Jim Garrett. Jim Garrett doesn't like one thing. There are many more, but I'll tell you one. 
Rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep. Jim Garrett, by nature, weeps with those that weep. But when it comes to that rejoicing part, or even the thanksgiving part, and I have gratitude into my heart, for some reason I can't get the same emotion into the gratitude I had when I was shedding tears and pleading for someone. I don't like that about Jim Garrett. And I'm praying to the Holy Spirit over the years, even as I continue to age, some way will enable me to have the same passion and gratitude, the same passion and rejoicing that I have in sorrow for those, my brothers and my sisters, whom I love. But in summary, let me say, we're in this together. What blesses you blesses me. What grieves you grieves me. I thank God is let me be a part of this body of Christ. In his name, amen.